Welcome to No Room for Phonies, podcast number 15, The Evolution of Motherhood with Wendy Ward back again, my historical um, expert and my um, co-mothering person. And we are going to today explore the definition of motherhood. Thank you, Pam, and thank you for not calling me an expert on motherhood because there is no way. <laughs> I almost did, my co-expert on motherhood, and then I thought, we would have to justify being experts on motherhood, and that I don't think I could do. No, not at all, and I don't think I would want to be called an expert on motherhood. No, no that's too dangerous. I mean... I practice unconditional love. I think I've had an influence on my kids. I am somewhat nurturing, not the kind of nurturing that, you know, coddles, but I'm somewhat nurturing. I think you're very nurturing. And I don't think coddling should be part of a definition of nurturing. But hey, isn't that what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, it is. And I give unwanted advice. So that makes me a, a mother, right? I think that that is definitely a qualification of being a mother. And I think that um, motherhood and mentor start with the same letter. And I think that um, motherhood has a lot of mentoring, like, you know, that it's kind of, and cause I know that I'm, I'm like, I have some young women that I know in my life that I'm not their mother and I don't want to be their mother, but I, I'm happy to kind of mentor, mentor them. Yes. I think that whole MM, the motherhood, the mentoring, um, that development that frequently mothering is seen as a a one-sided process but not unlike teaching mothering and motherhood is a, a dual process the amount of personal growth you go through as a mom is exponential to what you are quote unquote giving to your Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I was talking to a friend of mine because I'm doing a, another blog for quilting and I'm going to be talking about her as my mentor yeah. and we work together and I said, oh, I'm going to talk about you because you're my mentor. And she said, I'm not your mentor. You're my mentor. And I was like, okay, so that's how, and she's always been like a mother because I lost my mom very young. She's always been like a grandmother and meant, you know, like that kind of figure in my life since since we became close friends and I've known her for like 36 years. So it's like, but it was interesting that back and forth, how we feel about our mentors, right? Yes. And I think one of the lovely things about being a mom of um, near adult children uh, is the fact that they then take on that role of mothering, regardless of gender at some point. I know you, my daughter just brought me a coffee and that was just a really sweet thing. So that yeah. coffee, thinking of somebody else and doing something for somebody else. And I think once they become um, parents themselves, I think they have more of a real, like they have more of a, 
dawning on them of what it means to actually be a parent, but you know, they do their best, right? And kids in their twenties have a lot on their plates, especially these days and especially right now when life is so uncertain and up and down and jobs and even more important time for that kind of mothering um just that stability and i i've often thought that that's part of what mothering is about providing that stability you know all of those wonderful posters that you can get but truly it is that having knowing that somebody's in your corner knowing that you've got a stable place to be is an essential part of parenting yes and um a friend of mine um actually who's her husband passed away and one of the things that was said about him was that he would say i am an i am a reasonable man but this is an unreasonable situation and i think that as mothers particularly right now under these circumstances we kind of sometimes have to be the voice of reason even though this is a terribly unreasonable unprecedented kind of a situation where you everybody has to just go okay stop <laughs> remember this is really hard for everybody and we're allowed to have a meltdown. We're allowed to feel this way. I mean, I shared with a young friend of mine a meltdown I had had the other day about something stupid and she said, you did? And I said, we all are right now. That is just the way it is and it's okay. As long as you recover, you can have your moment, but you have to recover and move on. Yes, and I think that we all need the the freedom to be able to do that and being a mom is part of providing people that safe place to do that so that an individual knows that life continues you can have your meltdown but then it what are you going to do with it yeah exactly so i thought today because mother's day is coming up we could talk about moms from history fictional moms that we like our own moms a little bit and us as moms. So I went, did a little research about some moms from history, and I found Marie Curie. Amazing woman. First woman to win a Nobel Prize. And she raised two young daughters alone after her husband died. What a, I mean, kind of intimidating to have that as a, as a person to look up to and to hold as a, ooh, this is the kind of mom I want to be. Um, and yeah. her daughter uh, went on to co-win the Nobel Prize in Chemistry with her husband for their work on radioactivity. Wow. So, like, and her mother, the quote that her daughter said about her was that one must do some work seriously and must be independent and not merely amuse oneself in life. This our mother has told us always, but never that science was the only career worth following. Not amuse oneself in life? Not merely amuse. Merely. Okay, sorry. That big difference. You're right. Right? Like... You can have fun, but you have to work hard and, and, and be flexible, right? Be ready for whatever comes your way, which is a lot of 
you know, I think that this whole thing that we're experiencing right now with isolation and pandemic and everything really does show our ability to be flexible and kind of reinvent ourselves in a new way of looking at life and doing stuff. But interesting. It, it goes back to the whole purpose-centered life, does it not? Yeah. And it sounds like from her aspect, like, you know, you need to work hard and do something seriously. Doesn't matter what it is, but you have to do something seriously that, and be independent, which probably was a, a kind of a result of the fact that she lost her husband, right? So then she was forced to be able to support her kids and be independent and all that stuff, right? So it just that it kind of makes sense given what her circumstances were so so if you want to talk about historical because i don't think that she was the average mom back when she was being a mom um, no. first of all she was a single mom and so many kudos go out to women who tackle that project on their own um and then most moms were this is your lot in life. Mm -hmm. Well, she died in 1934 and her husband died in 1906. So she had a lot of years. And I mean, she was born in 1867. So she, like, yeah, for her times, she was like <laughs> incredible. Yes. Inspiring in many ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's J.K. Rowling. Yes. Another single mother, although that wasn't the theme. No, but she also wrote about people who were moms. When you look at the moms in specifically the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of our literature. No, mom. no, that's okay. Doesn't matter. Because we're going to talk about Molly Weasley later, I think. Yes. And she said, I'm prouder of my years as a single mother than any other part of my life. Yes. And not just because you have to work hard to get through it. Um, and and there's, there's a product at the end of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, she's president of Gingerbread, an organization that works for single parents and their children to help them succeed. And she wrote four Harry Potter books as a single mom. That's amazing to me. Like, I think of Margaret Lawrence as well, who talks about writing with when her kids were little and how she used to wait until they had gone to bed and then she would write until three or four in the morning and then get up again and start the whole day over. Yeah. Well, wow. And I, think, and I do think there's a lot of moms and dads right now you know, trying to work at home and homeschool their kids who are getting up at five in the morning and working for three hours before the kids get out of bed so that they can give them the time they need during the day, putting them to bed and then working for hours and hours. Like uh, when I took my principal's courses online, like I never did that while my kids were awake. I either did it early in the morning or late at night when they were in bed. And, you know, so, I mean, I don't think, feel that I had the same degree because I had a husband supporting me, but, 
it it i can definitely see that she said if your mom on mother's day in the uk she she quoted if your mom isn't here to treat do something nice for yourself because she's part of you and i thought that's a because i don't have my mom on mother's day mm -hmm. right and so it just kind of thinks oh yeah like you're your mom and who she was and is part of you even if you're i'm very different in some ways from my mom but there's a you know there's part of your belief system and your core values and all that that i think are part of who you are that come from your mom i think that's very true i mean we are a product of um who has helped to raise us or help form or shape us either in uh, rebellion against <laughs> whatever the message that our parents are sending us through or adoption and adoption. Yeah. And also sometimes rejection of certain things. Yes. Which is also healthy, right? That's part of stimulus response, right? <laughs> well, hopefully it comes about as a situation where as a an adult or a near adult you're going through the process of okay this is how i've been raised i like this part i don't like this part and i'm going to make my own new part and then as parents as moms we take that one step further and inflict or influence our children uh how we see best i really honestly don't know many moms many people who make decisions or actions based on, ooh, this is going to give me the opportunity to really hurt another person. I, wow. No, there's a very small, very small group of psychopathic people who go about like doing things to actually, no, everybody, I've always said that, that was one of the things that I said as a principal, that everybody, is really trying to be their best self right and so as a mom what our job is or i guess what we hope to do is to give our children that opportunity to become their best selves to set themselves up so that they have those cognitive behavior responses that they can then follow through and become their best self and that's the greatest joy i mean when i see one of my kids do something that I go, wow, that's, wow, that's really good. You, way to go. Yeah. <laughs> that makes, yeah, that's what it's sort of about, isn't it? Not that I get personal reward out of it. I also um, think that um, resiliency is something that we talked about a lot as like when I was a, a principal because one of the observations is that children aren't as resilient weren't as resilient because when you think of you know kids that were sent away to live on farms during the war and were separated from their parents like they had to um develop resiliency right and our kids up until this point really haven't had to be i'm sorry i'm laughing at the cat i can see the two eyes of the cat it's adorable this black cat i'll post a picture on facebook of him because he's so cute anyway but just that whole idea of resiliency right and now kids right now are having to become more resilient and what what will that look like 
you know, for them as adults, will that actually be a positive outcome of this that kids are resilient? Yes, and hopefully they're not going to need that kind of resiliency later. But what a good um, microcosm of being able to try and do that now. And in a self-isolating or shelter situation where we have, I don't know, it, it makes me think of the brooding hen of gathering all. Mm -hmm. As you know, Claire was in Montreal and it was my first instinct. I just, I wanted everybody in one place so that they could be here and then we could move forward sort of thing. Um, I'm sure she's regretting that now as we have six adults living in one place, but you know. Yeah. Um, I also think um, like this, this whole idea of um, walking, um, that this is a safe, it's, I know there's fear about the virus, but it's not the same as bombs going off and you worrying about your, you know, like it's not, it's war to some, like it's, it's a war-like environment, but it's not war. Like I can still go for a walk. I see kids going up and down the streets on their bikes with their parents, like under true circumstances where you were afraid of bombing and this and that, and you couldn't get food and you couldn't get, like this is a relatively safe kind of an environment to develop resiliency, I think. Or, I mean, I think of my dad who at 13, his dad died. And the only thing that his mom could do is ship him off to cousins who had a farm. And so, you know, he didn't know if his, his dad had gone missing in the Atlantic and he didn't know if he was alive or dead. And he was by himself working on a chicken farm. Um, we don't have that kind of no. tone. No. So I, the other one that I looked up that I found was Irma Bombeck, just ah. because she was pretty popular. Um, I know she's American, but I mean, she had an adopted daughter and two biological sons. And she really did the whole thing about housework and stay at home and work and newly working mothers and all the messiness of life. Bowl of cherries, yes. You know, um, she liked people who were strong and held their own. She was a very big presence, her daughter Betsy said. If you couldn't hold your own, she could roll over you. So I think she was a great transition mom for yeah. us in terms of going from the Warden June Cleaver yes. to Irma Bombeck to J.K. Rollins, if you want. Yeah. yeah, true. Just sort of a different order, right? And, and women became, you know, and I guess we'll talk about this later, but I don't know, like I know the roles of mother and I, we do have more of a parenting perspective to raising children rather than mother father it's more of that but the role of mother like it i don't know i feel like it's still there that i'm i'm different than what charles is with our kids like it's yeah. different it is different and i uh, i don't and i don't want to say that because i want to think of okay there are lots of um you know gay couples raising kids and all that is like amazing and wonderful like that's not what i'm trying to say i just i don't know i don't think we've evolved as much as we think we have there that's my quote of the day 
Yes, and I, uh, I think we're getting there. I think we're maybe revising or revamping um, the labels that we have because maybe mothering is so wrapped up in gender that we are switching it um, to be a non-gender based nurture again i'm not sure that mothering and nurturing are the same thing i mean no. we talked about this earlier and i have a negative connotation well, there are negative connotations available when you think about nurturing i don't see nurturing as doing something for everybody i see nurturing similar to when you plant a seed and keep that seed safe so that it can grow that sort of thing um, I don't expect that I am going to do everything for my children. And if they ever thought I was going to do everything for them, I'm sure that they've been disabused of that theory now. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like I remember my kids when they were, Charles and I were actually both working full time and they were um, not old enough to have jobs. But when they got home from school, they had like five chores that they had to each do. And I like, of course they look back at that now and it's all fine and everything to some degree <laughs> you know i remembered like them calling me at work one time and saying oh like we need you to solve this like they were fighting and i was like i'm at work like you know figure unless there's blood figure this out and get the chicken in the oven because when i open the door i better smell chicken and if there's blood it better be cleaned up. <laughs> I clean up the blood. But, you know, and I just, I think that that, you know, I think that that's a, a, a good thing. I, I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I just think that the role of being a, um, a mom still has a lot of evolving to do. So being a mom also means giving opportunity for responsibility and encouraging that kind of responsibility by helping with the tool development of how you can handle that responsibility. Right. And I guess in our household, we were a very um, unusual situation, right? Because I went back to work and Charles stayed home with the kids because that was the best option for our family financially. And because we chose to stay home, like have somebody home full time with them when till they went to school, like that was just a, a choice that we made. So, but we didn't do it in the traditional way because it just happened that I had a job where it was financially made more sense. But we, we were treated like particularly in religious settings and with older people like my dad we were treated very differently because of that choice yes we at that time and that was in i mean we're talking about the late 1990s the early 2000s so we're not talking about 100 years ago like and you know we were treated differently and he was treated differently because of that choice not by not by more um progressive people but certainly in like in the church setting that we were in for sure anything out of the 
the norm and you know small town mid on center ontario certainly i think that wasn't done as much because largely you didn't need to have both people working outside of the house uh now i don't know of many people in dual parenting situations who don't have both parents working outside of the house except for maybe right now because everybody's life has been turned upside down with the pandemic there's a whole bunch of reshifting and refocusing going on which hopefully we come out better for you um, um i looked up a little bit about margaret lawrence too yes. because she certainly um was is an example of uh you know strong mothering right um, yes and i think strong mothering in the sense of how you and i are talking about strong mothering where we're not um doing everything for our children and but we're encouraging children to be independent and um you know i loved her female she was one of the first canadian authors to be writing about really strong women who were struggling and honest and open about the struggles that they were having i think of stone angel um yeah yeah so i mean um we are probably drawn to thinking about more of the stronger um types of more mothers that are more like the way we think about mothering right like other people who would look at um, historical moms might choose out might pick out different people but we're kind of drawn to that but um when i think of fictional moms i i was doing the research and i started reading about charlotte the spider saving wilbur the pig from slaughter and uh then she um um lays her eggs and then dies alone at the fair like there's the true like it <laughs> was really depressing what are we talking about that's not how we're gonna do it motherhood sacrifice at its best like she wore herself out like giving birth and saving that little pig from slaughter <laughs> but she's rewarded in the end because he takes her eggs home back to the farm so that they can survive well i just always think of the song will rise again right and the pig carrying the <laughs> rise again in the faces of our children right and she carries the he carries the eggs back and oh what was that children's book when our kids were little about how much i love you oh yes how much i love you i love you i just remember thinking how creepy it was that this old woman would climb up a ladder and into somebody's bedroom yeah. <laughs> okay that's stalkering i am not that kind of mom yeah no we won't be doing that and then there's always the ma ingles yes that kind of you know but she was pretty tough like you think of mothers who had to endure that prairie life and that yes. woman life that is tough slugging 
Um, the other one that I mentioned to you earlier about uh, Rebecca Wells' book, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, when I think about the mom from there, um, Vivian, I think she was, and how she did not want to be a mom. Deep South, all yeah. the trappings that go with it, she was much more interested in continuing her life than being part of somebody else's life. And wow, I can remember thinking, whoa, there's, there, there was a choice, <laughs> like what? Well, and that was the same for these women on the prairies, right? And I yeah. think of like Charles's family, like his historical family, um, his dad's mother escaping Russia, coming to um, uh, Manitoba, by the Red River, they got flooded out, they had to move to another place, build a farmhouse. They ended up having like 10 kids, 11 kids, like her life. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's strength in motherhood, but I'm, I'm sure she never thought that she had any other option but to make sure there was food on the table and that all the kids' clothes were mended and they had decent shoes to wear to go outside in the winter. Like, that's probably all she thought about, I would imagine. Like, you know, like, I just can't imagine. Yes. Sun up to sun down. And I, again, literature moms thinking of Sophie's choice um, and having those horrible decisions that Sophie had to make as depicted in that novel. Wow. I feel very fortunate which was, we read the book in our book club, Mildred Pierce. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was a hardworking single mother with great legs. <laughs> who sacrifices everything for an ungrateful daughter. So, you know, she, remember she ended up owning the restaurant? Yeah. yeah she had to get rid of stuff to help support her daughter's yeah yeah like that was and then there's the molly weasley right yeah they call her in this um writing the embodiment of maternal so yeah that's what they call her the embodiment of maternal with enough motherly warmth to go around not to just her seven children but also harry and everyone in the order of the phoenix <laughs> Yes, and I think we all gravitate towards somebody like that, either in, in a mentoring role or a mothering yeah. role. Um, but again, that stability and that unconditional acceptance for who you are and, and the space to be who you are. I think it's a really key element of being a mom. But in the end, right, she um, kills Bellatrix, right, because Mama Bear the Bellatrix advances on Ginny and not my daughter, you bitch. And <laughs> right. And again, that was a major part of the, the book, yeah. part of the movie, because everybody assumes that as the mom, you don't have that within you. Oh no. If you're a mom, you know, you have it in you. Like, don't mess with any of my charges. Well, and she releases the Gryffindor lion. Right? Yes. In her, like it should have been a bear, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> I just was like, 
Yeah, that's, she's a really good one. Like, because she just seems like she's just the, oh, come on, my little chicks and all this. And then, boom, from inside her comes this, like, lion roaring out of her. It's just interesting. But, yeah. And then I, I loved, we went to see the Little Women movie. Oh. I thought they did an amazing, I, first of all, I like the act, actress. I can't remember. Laura Dern. Yeah, I like her. And she portrayed that whole thing. Like they portrayed her role as a mother as like really strong and really pushing, you know. And I didn't see her as coddling them. No. No, not at all. And in fact, I think part of that is, um, again, giving responsibility and delegating and um, you're not... I don't know how to put this. She held them up to a standard, right? Like, like it was accept it, they had to be like, she expected them to treat others respectfully and to do certain things. Like she, I thought she had pretty high expectations of her, her daughters. But I don't think that she said, here are the expectations. No. She said, she didn't say she, exhibited she modeled that and growing up with that they knew that that's just how they were going to have to be yeah and she wasn't i think she also modeled failure and disappointment yes probably and tragedy and those kinds of things like moving through those parts of your life like you know we get in this mindset that everybody's supposed to be happy well life is just moving through life and being satisfied or or learn you know like it there's this kind of weird feeling i think about everybody's happy like you know Stanford wives is what that is yes and you're right i think the um being a mom being a parent part of that is helping your kids navigate the the horrible stuff that has to go on that happens in life, be it disappointment, loss of jobs, deaths. Mm -hmm. That's a tough thing. Well, she had like all, like there were just all kinds of like her dot, the, the illness, the death, like there was tons of stuff that went through that house. And yeah, I, I, lo I loved that character and that I thought that they did an excellent job in that movie uh, portraying motherhood, like, you know, no, but, I want to watch it again. Yes. I'm gonna have to talk about Miss Honey from Matilda, right? Yes, because she was not the biological mother, and I think for a lot of people who have mothers that are not the greatest, they need that someone to kind of recognize their who they are and pull them out of the gutter, kind of a thing. Biology certainly does not make one a mom. There's no question. No. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of that to be um, said because, you know, I think that that happens more than, than we know with, with kids. And, you know, and this brings the whole thing into like adoption and fostering and all that sort of stuff where, you know, we recognize these people as, you know, transforming people into adulthood who they're not even blood related to.
And I think it goes even further, Pam, because, you know, if you want to talk about Mitch Albloom and the five people you meet in heaven, as teacher, you know, you know only too well that there are thousands of children that you have touched who have maybe thought of you in a mothering capacity, um, because that's our, our want, but we, we shape, we help anybody that we communicate with at any time. Um, and I think keeping that in mind is part of what helps us be that kind of nurturing, mothering person. Well, and I also think that um, one of the things that I always kept in mind when I was teaching, and particularly after I had kids, was you know that one really negative thing you say to the kid, you need to say now a thousand like positive nurturing things in order for them to push that negative thing out of their mind. And I think that that's, as we get older, we train ourselves better to push negative comments, you know, and to see them for what they are. Sometimes you have to see a negative comment based on the source, right? But as kids, you don't necessarily have that filter. And so our role as parents is so tricky because we need to be truth and honesty and growth to our kids, but we also need to be you know, and part of building resilience, right, is learning. And I always used to say to my kids, well, you know, I love you unconditionally. So if I tell you, you're being stupid, you know that I still love you. It, again, we had this conversation around the table last night where, why do they remember the thing? <laughs> I don't want you to remember that I said that as I was doing 20 other things and you asked me what? <laughs> no, I don't have time to deal with this. And here's my answer without thinking about it. Um, it and we all do that. And I think it's very helpful for the kids to know that sometimes the response they get is not always going to be what they want. And well, sometimes I guess I, I, I guess I have, I didn't interview my kids before this, but I think we all have our little momisms, right? Of things we do and say that they go, oh, that's just mom or whatever. But, and then I wanted to talk about um, the whole character of um, Elizabeth McCord on uh, Madam Secretary. Which, of course, we both emulate Elizabeth McCord, Madam Secretary, Mom, uh, that's who we are. They've modeled her on how we are moms, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I love the one time when she um, calls home and it's the daughter has changed schools and she finally has amassed this group of friends and they're having the sleepover and she goes, I can't believe like I'm missing the first sleepover and the whatever and the, the husband says, you're a mom who has to stay late for work. Like, just get over it. Yeah. Life is not ending. It's just the way it is. And I mean, when you think of that in terms of the scope of what that job is being portrayed as, like, she's not your typical mom staying late for work, but she has the typical mom, fe like, feelings, right? So... And it's the context, right? So in that family at that time, that's the context. And in our families, you know, if you stay late because you have 
papers to grade or you've got to get the loadings done properly, then it's the same thing. You're a mom who has to work late. Well, and I also like the aspect of that, um, that story where um, she has conflict with, with all of her kids at one time or another. Like the daughter, when she finds out about the, um, I don't want to call it torture, but the interrogating that her mother was kind of involved in is horrified and actually moves out. Yes. And then comes back and comes to terms with, you know, what that was all about. And then the younger daughter who's like, you don't appreciate me and you don't love me for who I am because I love shiny nail polish and fancy clothes. <clears throat> and then she comes to terms with that and makes a really like, you know, all that conflict that happens between kids and the stages that we go through with our kids. I think they do a pretty good job of portraying that. And, and just that whole idea of, okay, now I just have to keep my mouth shut about this or that, or, and then their strength as parents, like when they suspect the daughter, when there's drugs involved and they actually take a hair follicle and have it tested. And I'm like, okay, we are. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I think she's a very, I think it's a very good story <clears throat> with that underlying theme of parenting. Yes. I think it managed to encapsulate a lot of parenting themes, but also in terms of mothering and hopefully showing that we all find our own way of doing mothering. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what how has motherhood changed? Wow. Well. I, the, the statistics certainly tell us that women are less likely to die now becoming mothers. So that's a good thing. Yes. Right. And that we have a choice and that we don't have to worry about mothers dying because they've chosen not to be mothers. We haven't even talked about that in terms of, I mean, I think you still can be a mother without being physically a mother. And kudos to women who make that decision to not have children. That does not remove them from participating in society, from being a mom for somebody else. You and I talked about mentoring and how important that is. Yeah. And I remember like when Charles and I were first married, we were in a certain kind of a, a religious environment. And then it was kind of like, oh, so when are you having you know a baby and I was like how do you even know that I can have a baby that's a very private thing and yet some people that were in that environment who couldn't and were adopted like it was just made to feel like there was something wrong with you if you couldn't produce a child and that's Horrendous. I would really like to think that we're not in that stage anymore in society, but I wasn't on that receiving end. And I'm sure that it does still go on. You look at the in vitro fertilization and OHIP covering the costs and... It... Well, and I always like, I, I have obviously had young teachers that have come to me and said, you know, I'm expecting or I'm, I'm having, a, and they're, 
there's always a little bit of trepidation, right? Because it's like, oh, now they're not going to finish the year or this is going to, and I was never, I, I saw being able to have a child as a miracle because I have known so many people who desperately want to have their own child and can't. So we have to celebrate the miracleness of it, which. Yes. Of every child. And I think that's not just the, the fact that a new being is born, but wow, that those new relationships that are developed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then it, it, I read a little bit about the unequal domestic burden borne by mothers and other women caregivers has decreased, but only by seven minutes. But hey, that seven minutes is a pretty big, yeah. It will take till 2228 to close the gender gap in unpaid, unpaid care work. Wow. Yeah. Now, did they look at the caregiving for parents as well? Because more and more, you know. This is just literally. This literally. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, I just thought that that was funny. That really, it's decreased for us by seven minutes. And I don't know if that's seven minutes a year. or. <laughs> Okay, that would seven minutes per year. <laughs> I'll take that seven minutes, whatever way I can get it. Well, and then this is the whole thing about um, the disproportionate burden means that we don't have the time to spend on paid work, and right, and a lot of times it still does mean that the woman leaves the workforce to carry the load at home or partially leaves the workforce or drives herself crazy. I mean, I didn't grow, we didn't have that kind of marriage. So, but I think you have to realistically understand that that is the light, that is life for some people. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's a give and take in terms of the relationship. And that's part of that developing relationship that as a mom you have with your kids. Uh, There were times when Paul was really busy you know when he was in public office certainly he was not home four or five nights a week because he was out doing good in the community and so you know when he made that decision it wasn't his decision alone it was something we did together and maybe that's part of what mothering is as well making sure that making that decision process includes the people in your circle of responsibilities yeah, and I think that's what we tried to do. What about your own mom? Do you? I'm going to get all the clubs. She was wonderful. Um, you know, uh, my father still says, what would Jane do when he's trying to figure out, which um, I was really blessed. And I can remember when I was 16, she um, was the chaperone on one of my school trips. And much to my horror, we were billeted together. And the person that I was billeted with who had been such a wonderful person when they came to Canada was absolutely horrible to me. And so mom and I were in this very small two twin beds room and she was the only person around that I could talk to. And 
we went places together and I really got to see my mom as a separate entity from myself. And I think that's an essential step in developing a relationship. Um, and I love her. And, you know, she passed five years ago and I still love her. And honestly, I still believe that, well, I still talk to her every day. So far, she hasn't really talked back that much, but <laughs> I'm okay if she does. Well, my mom will, it'll be 23 years ago on uh, Thursday of this week that she. Oh, had. wow, Pam. And uh, so I feel sometimes like a little bit um, jaded because like she died when my, when Zachary was six weeks old. Right? So I never really had the opportunity to go through that whole, like my own motherhood with her around kind of a thing. But um, yeah, she was a, like our um, household was definitely a matriarchal household. Like when she passed away, things, certain things fell apart because she was definitely holding them together. And so that's one of the things that I try not to do. Like, cause I want, you know, I want there to be a strength of family that is more equalized than matriarchal. Yes. I think it's really hard to manage that. And I think it's really essential to manage that. And partly generationally, now we're at the stage where it doesn't matter if you're male or female, that there are different roles you take on in that relationship and the family dynamics that allow you to move forward in that. Yeah, so, but, um, so, I don't know. I, I think that I'm a, I do certain things a lot like my mom, but um, certainly other things. I know that I'm practical, hardworking, like those kinds of things. I know that I love um, <clears throat> having people, entertaining them, doing things for people. Like that was definitely my mom. Um, we certainly probably look at at parenting slightly like differently because I'm I like to think that I'm not quite as um controlling like she really liked everybody to do what she thought they should do and I mean we we all know we have to let go of that with our kids so and it's that evolution of you know this is how I was raised and so I'm going to change the parts that I didn't like and do this you know, when i was a kid everybody had to take piano lessons until they got to high school and then if you took another instrument you could drop piano well yeah. i hated that and so i did not make my kids do piano lessons and i'm pretty sure that um i know that luke was really happy about that but i'm pretty sure that claire wishes she had taken piano lessons and probably will make her kids take piano lessons when she has children yeah it's funny eh? those little tiny aspects of our lives that we say oh we're never gonna make our kids do this or this or this and it's like okay whatever you know and and you know yeah it's just it's very and I mean for me I grew up in the country right so I was used to working on the farm and we spent a lot of time push mowing lawns and doing that and when you know I have a strong desire to not live in the country and I remember because I I 
it was okay. But then when you went to have a job, you had to have a car, like it just, it just felt everything about it just felt inconvenient. But Sebastian the other day said, yeah, I'd like to have a big dog and a lot of land. And I was like, really? <laughs> we worked so hard to get you out of that. Yeah. So it was just whatever. But anyway, so now I have crazy things mothers do. So now we have to go through this list and see if we are crazy. Like, no, I was no. We you know that we're not going to have anything that we do appear on that list, Pam. Well, the first one I've already lost. <laughs> What's says, the first? Your mother sends you Valentine's even though you're thirty. Well, I don't have any thirty-year-olds, but for Easter, like. I know. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> we still bought chocolate Easter eggs, and okay, we were in quarantine okay. as well, and that was an important no, part. In me. No matter where they, yeah, no. I've gotten very good at texting because for me with Zachary, it's usually Facebook Messenger, but. Yes, and there's a whole different process I, of messaging. I feel like this is like, you know, I was pretty good at texting before. Like that wasn't really something I had to get good at. But when I watch them text, like with one finger, then I oh, think. And, and I would say that texting is probably not my preferred way of communicating, but I, I'm good at that. Like, I'd rather just pick up the phone and talk to them, but I don't. I use Facebook Messenger and I use texting because I know that for them, that's their preference. Okay, so really what we're saying then is that as moms, we know that if we want them to pay attention we choose the communication method that they want <laughs> the third one is that we join social networks that we don't understand in order to follow them okay at least i don't call it the facebook yeah um and i did go on to instagram just so that i could follow um my offspring, though I think they now have separate private accounts that I don't know about, just to make sure. <laughs> Probably, but I mean, I have, Zachary's been involved in like certain groups at school that have Facebook and all of a sudden it'll come up again on my Facebook and I think he's not even in that group anymore, but I followed it just so that if he was in a picture that I could see him and yeah, I followed a lot of things, but I can honestly say that. Oh, I, what's that? Go ahead. Is that called stalking? <laughs> Could be. Yes. Uh, okay, so this one is definitely true. Follow the weather in the city where they live. And not yes. so I can call and say whatever, like it says, so you can call and say, you better wear your coat. That's not why I do it. But I still have Ottawa weather come up on my phone. Yes. Look, Claire is back here from Montreal and I'm still getting messages from Montreal. And I also, because both my brothers live in Washington, D.C., I get messages about what the weather is there. I think it's important. Right? Like, yes. You know, because Zachary's in Toronto now and then I'm like, something bad will happen in Toronto and I'll quickly look at the streets and the age of the person and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Which is seriously deranged. Okay, so did you adopt your pet 
theoretically for yourself, but really for the children. So they would want to come home and see the cat. It was more to give them something to do. No. Yeah, maybe. I, I've always loved cats, having cats. And certainly, you know, it's been almost two years since our last feline friend passed away. So it made sense to do that. Yeah. Um, sometimes you text, like I would text a message, like we don't have any pets anymore, but I would text a message to the kids from the dog. Okay, no, I've never done that. <laughs> but my mom used to send cards to my, my cat. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. Well, we don't have anybody who has a baby, so we'll skip that one. Okay. Drop everything you might be interested in doing if they say they're coming home for the weekend. Absolutely, I've done that. Totally. Absolutely, I've done that. If my they're coming home for the weekend, they'll buy food and groceries like it's the Pope coming for the weekend. Not that I would care about the Pope, but... No. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, Christmas holidays, I planned, like, major food and bottles of wine and drinks and yeah yeah oh text to let you know she's emailed you <laughs> so when we set mom and dad up with email they um they would call as soon as they had sent us a text or not a text but an email mom would call and say did you, i just sent you an email did you get it it's like oh sweetie i love you <laughs> I have said that though. So yeah. I, I do this all the time. I leave a voicemail to say I've called, even though I know they can see that I've called. <laughs> That's because we don't know they pay close attention. <laughs> I'm afraid they might not like look at it. Right. Oh, this one is me. Send articles that have maybe only slightly, slight relevance to their lives. Definitely. Subject lines like, thought you might like to read this or interesting or yeah I do that all. I did it last night actually mom used to mail me newspaper clippings because of course that was before the gram or anything like that and I you know at the time I can remember oh honestly yet another and I find myself really enjoying sending information to yeah. did you see this output or whatever yeah. um sign all the emails love you yes I always yes. do that but now you can do like, well, in this pandemic thing, I've taken to sending like a gift that is the day of the week and say, just to let make sure that you know what day it is. <laughs> I've never done this. Um, tell them over the phone that it's time to go to bed. I don't think I've ever. No. Actually, I've, no, that's not fair. I have done that. No, I, I don't think so, but I might be, I will say, oh, you sound really tired. Are you getting? But yeah, live text during major TV events. Absolutely, I've done that. <laughs> um, get super excited when you learn like hashtag cool things somebody says and then like LOL means laugh out loud, not lots of love. What? <laughs> like the person that put that, um, Aunt Bessie died, LOL. LOL, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, if you work on the internet, she prints out your articles or your press, yes. And mails them, like sent, puts them up. Yes, I do that. Totally. Ask you for advice about things. Well, we do Zachary because he like, yeah. he likes to talk about. And Sebastian, right, does all my editing for this, the podcast and photos for blogs and yeah. Tell family gossip even when you're not supposed to. <laughs> you don't have much family gossip, so whatever. Uh, we try to make sure you and your siblings that they that they hang out as siblings as much as possible. Yes, I can say that I probably push that a little bit. Probably. I think that those are certainly some generic characteristics of being a mom that. Uh, Maybe dads don't do as much. Yeah, I would say that that's true, yeah. And then there's the mom hug. No matter what's wrong, there's always the mom hug, right? Yes. I think that's one of the things that I miss the most. And there's been this lovely transition because I'm finding that um, I get that same kind of emotion back with Claire. Uh, yeah. So it feels almost, not that I'm trying to make her into my mom, but I, I feel like I've entered a new stage of mothering because I'm now the matriarch. Well, and the other thing is I think there are um, certain relationships that you have with, with your female friends that take on that role of, yes, right? Like mentoring, mothering, like that you're there, that you can... And I mean, nobody is more honest with you than your mom. And that's really the way it should be, right? And so, because like I said before, no matter what you do, moms are always going to love you. And even, I mean, we see this even in whatever, like the, the, murder, the murderer's mom hangs on, you know, even yes. when someone does something pretty terrible, mom is there right to kind of pick up the pieces so on this amazing mother's day coming up in self-isolation where no one's going to get a really big party for mother's day what wait i thought here i've already told them yeah. well sebastian actually asked me the other day do we have shrimp in the freezer or something so i think he probably will cook although he's been doing a lot of cooking anyway over this but yeah, so we're, because it's going to be a very different motherhood, but I, Mother's Day, but I think it's really cool that we did this little tribute to mothers today. I do too, Pam, and thank you for the, it, uh, one of the great things about being a mother at this stage is that leveling of the playing field and, and just enjoying that female friendship. Um, yeah. so thank you for being that person for me. It's been very cool. And uh, I think we'll be back together again, maybe in self-isolation because Zachary has asked if he can do a podcast with us. No way. Yeah. So we're going to, we're thinking about what the topic might be, but again, we will, we will be revisiting your historical knowledge. I do believe because the two of you are quite historical, right? So historical hysterical it's a fine line yes and and uh wonderful and wonderful at 
uh, talking because today we learned that we shouldn't talk over each other and I think we did a very good job, don't you? I couldn't agree more, Pam. We've been very focused and fortunately, we have editors who are willing to help us learn how to do that. That's right. And we are willing to accept criticism. So that is good news too. So Because we are moms. Yeah, exactly. All right, so the evolution of motherhood. Thank you, Wendy Ward, for joining me. And uh, we will see you next time on... No room for phones.